Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of our podcast Getting to Better Together, sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership of the University of the Sunshine Coast. Before proceeding any further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gumby Gumby people, and pay my respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. As we've been emphasising throughout this series, our modern way of life has led us to pay little respect to this notion of custodianship. In this industrial age, we approach nature as if it was something over there from which we can exploit the resources which it provides with little regard to its innate features and its integrity, its wholeness. With little appreciation of our own critical interconnected with us, which is in stark contrast, of course, to that held by so many within so many different indigenous cultures, including Aboriginal cultures, of course. But as the current COVID pandemic is powerfully illustrating, nature has a habit of hitting back against these abuses, sometimes with unharnessed ferocity. As the Roman poet Horace had it, if you throw nature out with a pitchfork, it will come back with a vengeance. Nearly 220 million cases worldwide, with more than 4.5 million deaths, is some ferocity, and its momentum continues, vaccinations and social controls notwithstanding. The virus responsible for the current pandemic is one of many, which through the ever-increasing human encroachment into the wilds of nature, have jumped from wildlife to humans with sometimes very critical impacts, not just on our health as individuals and communities, but as our entire way of operating as societies and cultures. And there's no doubt that under these circumstances, we need a, a deep and urgent focus on getting to better. And there's no better way than we can do that by doing it together, wearing masks, respecting social distancing, accepting governmental travel restrictions and lockdown mandates, getting vaccinated and so on, are all potent examples of the need for cooperation and collaboration. But at the base of all of this, I would argue, is the need to embrace what science is telling us about the COVID virus as a transmissible and virulent infectious disease agent. And what we might, what we should do in getting to better together is to understand these basics. These matters are of particular interest to my guest today, and I'm delighted that he's accepted our invitation to share his vital insights with us. Matthew Mason is an educator and researcher into infectious diseases and their control, and particularly within the context of culture and society. Morning, Matthew, and welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Matthew, could you take us right back to basics with some explanations of, of what is meant by terms like transmissibility, virulence, and indeed what constitutes a pandemic? Okay, so I guess the, the, the first place to start is, I think, what is a pandemic? And infectious diseases are with us all the time, from our runny nose that we used to have and not think much of, um, through to what we're seeing now with, with this global spread of, spread of a respiratory disease. So when we talk about diseases, we can talk about outbreaks in a number of different ways. So you might have a, you know, children in a childcare centre and they have a gastroenteritis outbreak. Happens every year, happens frequently. Any parent will tell you that, and as will early, early childhood educators. We call those an outbreak. <clears throat> Usually they're very limited and self-limiting, don't cause a whole heap of harm potentially, but are disruptive to that organisation at the time. If we go a bit bigger, um, we can talk about an epidemic. You know, that we could have an epidemic of rotavirus, for instance, if we've got a spread of it across, say, Queensland, for instance, or, or Australia. It's larger. It's still a little bit contained, but it does cause illness to a lot of people. It causes disruption to services and to, and to lives. 
the pandemic occurs and there are various different definitions and the World Health Organization now tried to um, I suppose retire the phrase pandemic during the Ebola um, outbreak in around 2014 because they tried to move away from calling it a pandemic to what we have a public health emergency of international concern. And there were reasons for that because the term pandemic is loaded and what, what we saw with the Ebola situation was there was a reluctance to say this is a potentially a pandemic or it is a pandemic because of the economic and financial implications of doing that. Uh, as soon as we say there's a pandemic, things happen. And, and whilst the World Health Organization in Ebola and also at the early stages of COVID said, okay, you don't need to be shutting borders and you don't need to be doing these sort of things at, at this time. But as soon as the word pandemic was mentioned, governments went, right that's it we're shutting the we're shutting the curtains with and trade stops travel stops and there's that big financial and economic input as well as the societal damage that those do um that don't doesn't particularly make a mention they do now because we know what happens because we're in it um and so but essentially a pandemic or a public health emergency of international concern is where you have a disease that is significantly going to impact a community and it's spreading across international borders and it's got the potential to go a long way. Um, we've had a few. The inf influenza during the early 1910s and those sort of areas during the Second World after the Second World War. Uh, we had H1N1 and swine flu sort of maybe getting going. We've had SARS, the first SARS. We've had MERS look like it was going to do that, and it's still it's still around. It just hasn't blown up like um, COVID-19 did. Had Ebola you know nearly got there it did go across some borders but didn't make that you know got into america but it didn't didn't take off in the fashion that a pandemic would so you know for a true pandemic it's what we're seeing now where it's there it's out there's calling it. and it's a little bit different because we do have diseases that that are out there and cause a lot of illness so if we have a think about malaria tuberculosis hiv yeah these cause illness across the globe don't meet the definition so much of a pandemic in that there's other things that spread them other than humans so you know whilst uh, with the caveat of tv tb so malaria hiv they're yeah they're, they're they're not as transmissible and that's where we come to this transmissible thing so how easy is it to catch tuberculosis is pretty easy to catch but we've got some good treatments for it we've got um we've got a vaccination not so great the vaccination need to do more work on that um, but we do have treatments but we, what we have found that's mutated. We have extensively drug resistance, mycobacterium tuberculosis now, where we have people that we can't treat. And that's the risk, is if that strain gets out, we might have an issue with TB. HIV spread around the world. We have treatments now. People live with HIV. Um, they don't progress to AIDS and die. So the, the issues there are different now. Malaria causes a lot of grief around the world, causes uh, yeah, untold illness and death around around the world spread by mosquitoes. So it doesn't it doesn't jump on a plane and travel around and in, infect people. For malaria, the one to worry about there is climate change and what that does for the the vector. They'd all be regarded presumably as as fairly virulent. So if they were let go, they would take off. I mean, the case of malaria uh, with mosquitoes is obviously not so, yeah. but TB and of course influenza. Um, yeah. with a bad uh, bad mutation such as the so-called Spanish flu in the year 1990. Yeah, yeah. So so with COVID-19, what we saw is we you know, we had um, what we call the alpha variant started off, wasn't 
particularly virulent. We were still looking at the, you know, is it droplet spread? Is it contact spread? You know, and, and these are all sort of fairly academic terms in, when, it, when it push comes to shove. Um, it turns out that it was probably more along the aerosol. So it, it floats around in the air. It can be spread airborne. And that's clear now, now that that is correct. And I think this is one of the issues that we've had with the pandemic is that um, I think a lot of society expects science to be black and white. And, um, you know, if we say it's something, then it shall always stay that way. And that's not what science is. It doesn't mean that science was wrong. We've just developed a different understanding. And, and when you're dealing with something that mutates and changes, you have to mutate and change your thinking and your science along with that. Otherwise, you're stuck doing something that doesn't work for something that's moved. I was at a conference a few years ago in, in Salzburg in, in, in Austria, where for the first time in European history, apparently, uh, doctors in, in human medicine and, and veterinary scientists were brought together for the first time to talk about these types of diseases. Um, the technical name, of course, being zoonoses, which are diseases of humans uh, that have natural reservoirs in, in wild animals, so-called, or in other animals other than, than humans. And at one stage, there was a graphic shown of a, of a virus, the influenza virus, actually, uh, mutating as a graphic. And it was like every microsecond something happened. Is this happening with, with yes. COVID? Yes, clear, clearly this is happening with COVID. And it happens with um, pretty much every organism. We, we, we change as we go along. That's why we, we, as humans, don't all look and do the same thing. Um, and that's not because of a particular choice. It's just the way things work. So we, we, we start off with the COVID-19 alpha variant. We now, yeah, in Australia, the Delta variant is the one that's causing us problems. We've got uh, the Lambda, we've got Mu, I think it's Mu, my Greek alphabet's not great. Mu, Mu is the one that's, um, yeah, just been made a variant of concern that we're keeping an eye on as well. And But this is going to happen. As, you know, it happens with everything. And if you have a think about influenza, for instance, one of the reasons that we're, it's recommended that everyone has an influenza vaccination every year is because the formulation of that vaccination changes every year based on the circulating strain. And so we, you know, for he us here in the Southern Hemisphere, we look at the influenza season in the Northern Hemisphere, which happens, you know, during our summer. And we go, what's circulating up there? And the, you know, the team at the, the Influenza Coordinating Centre down at you know, Melbourne and, and the World Health Organisation, they go, oh, well, this is what we expect to happen in the Southern Hemisphere. This is what you should put in the formulation for your influenza vaccination and we all get vaccinated. Sometimes we miss and, and uh, the, the circulating strain decides to be something different or not decides, but it is something different. And, um, and that's how it works. And, and what we're seeing in COVID at the moment is exactly that. You know, when you have a lot of people infected, you've got a lot of virus out there when you've got a lot of virus out there the pressures to change are there and they happen more frequently we know this for bacteria for instance you, your listeners may have heard of antimicrobial resistance and we talk about superbugs so in, in hospitals we talk about mrsa multi-resistant staphylococcus aureus you know which is you know we used to treat with pen, simple penicillins and now we have some much bigger and more you know nastier antibiotics that we treat it with because it's become resistant to those because of the pressures we put on um, its development and of course viruses are fundamentally different from bacteria aren't they in in, in a number of ways i mean first of all uh, they're not all they're not living organisms really no. they're just strips of genetic material mm. 
Um, but also, of course, their rate of reproduction is, is vast compared to bacteria, where they will enter a cell and, and replicate to unbelievably high numbers, yeah. rupture the cell, and then off they go someplace else. One of the things that I find, I think, disappointing about science in terms of the way we scientists communicate is the, the notion that, that we endow other organisms such as bacteria and so on, and even viruses, with intelligence, that they know what they're doing. And so you have things like you know, the battle against viruses and, and, and human beings as if the virus knew what it was doing. But of course that's not so, is it? No, it, no, it's not. And it, it's a trap that we fall into, and I've done it a couple of times today. But I think that's one of the things about science communication is that you, these underlying, what is the underlying understanding of science in, in the community that you're trying to get your message across right. to? And I think that it, science communication, I don't think we've got it right. And I think this is where one of the, the one of the things that we as scientists actually have to work on is how do we how do we communicate what are essentially some fairly tricky scientific ideas and let's face it virology immunology and epidemiology are not easy no. <laughs> um, if it even was the easy. words yeah in <laughs> the words yeah so it, they're, they're not easy and for us to understand you know most of us have spent yeah, considerable amount of time studying very very specific aspects mm-hmm. you know not say epidemiology but just a specific aspect of epidemiology right. even um to be able to then communicate that to a broad community, say the Australian public or the global public, with no under- underlying understanding is, is very problematic. And then on top of that, when you're talking about a pandemic like this, is the, the political side of it. Is you know, How do we get the, um, that message across in a politically um, appropriate and acceptable way because there's other, you know, there's other drivers there as well. Uh, and so we just have to be a little bit careful on how we say things. But yeah, you're right. The virus doesn't know what it's doing. The virus does what it does. Let's explore a little bit more this, this uh, connection, I guess, between science, government, business and, and human beings. I mean, I, t- I take your point um, very well about the notion that we hesitate to use the word pandemic because it does then mean that we bring in all these other things to bear, whereas uh, when it's just simply an epidemic or is endemic in a, in a population, then it's really just the concern of, of public health. But now it's much more than all of that, isn't it? It is to some extent. I think if we take it back a little bit, I mean, at the introduction you were talking about uh, you know, zoonosis and medical doctors coming together with veterinary doctors. So, yeah, we have, this, we have this concept now of One Health. It is something that we really should be, be working towards. And I, I remember... Oh, I'm thinking probably 20 years ago uh, when we when I was when I was actually working clinically as a remote area nurse. There was this there was the this was idea of yeah health in in all decision making. So there was a push. I was working in in South Australia and there was this push that yeah whichever de- whichever governmental department people were working in, whether it was education, um, infrastructure, finance, whatever, you had to think about how health was brought into it and how education was brought into it because you didn't want to be making a decision somewhere over in finance that impacted on outputs in health because everything is interconnected and i think that's what we're seeing here is where we you know whatever decision you make is going to have an impact somewhere and it's the priorities that you have to get right so is the priority the the budget is the fiscal outlook for individuals for companies for states for 
the country more important than health. And I don't think you can actually separate it that easily. And I think what we're seeing in the public discourse is, you know, you've got on one side, there's people, it's, it's almost made dichotomous that you're either for lockdowns or you're for business and you can't be for the other. And it doesn't work like that. And this is where we come back to that communication here. You know, on one side, you've got people saying, we've got to open up the economy, you have to have business surviving, people can't live without that. And there's some truth to that. On the other side, you've got people, we've got to lock down, we can't let the virus spread, yeah, because that will, will hurt people. And there's truth to that too. The problem is that that's what's played out. Yes. <laughs> is that you're, you're either for or against yes. one of those two. Yes. And you can't be going, actually, we actually have to work away yes. to it. And I think what we're seeing now is there is some change in the discourse to you know, living with COVID. And yeah, I, I think we're at a point where we can see that we aren't going to eradicate at this point in time. We might then in the future, but I think we've got to, yeah, we have to make a decision now where we're going. The problem is if we open up things, we already can see that our health system is stretched. Yeah, and this is not particularly, it's not necessarily because of COVID-19 that the health system is stretched. We have been in a pandemic for 18 months um, and health workers and health systems are tired and, and, and that. But prior to that, what decisions have we as a society made to set up our health systems to have some capacity to manage these sort of situations? Yeah, right. And I think you know, what we have seen globally and, and certainly in Australia is a move away from I guess, the public health side of education and health. What's good for the individual is good for society. And I think if we have a good public health system, and that's not just the, the public health that people now think about in terms of hand washing and viruses, it's public health in our hospitals, our GP practices and those sort of things. If we have some capacity in those and some, you know, the ability to take on extra cases then we'll do better people will be healthier healthier people good for the economy people who are sick aren't able to contribute at that particular time and we have to think of their mental their physical and emotional health and the people around them we're too dichotomized into people and money so we come in then into all sorts of uh, sensitive areas don't we in terms of mandating things i read some uh, extraordinary uh, data yesterday which said that um, in countries with a loose culture of adherence to sort of social norms mm -hmm. like Canada and the US and, and most of Europe where people dislike being told what they should do versus tight cultures such as Singapore, China and Korea, there is a five times difference in terms of the, if you will, the seriousness of the disease in these loose cultures compared to the tight cultures. Mm -hmm with Australia being a noticeable exception. And I read some other figures yesterday that said here in Australia, as you know, with a population of 26-odd million people, we have only 55,000 cases, with almost half of them still active. Uh, we have had only 1,000 deaths. Compare that with Canada. Canada, with only 37 million people, less than double ours, has 1.5 million cases. What have we done right? So right, I think, is a loaded word. What have we done 
differently Better. because because I, I think what, different right. what we've done differently right um, is and, and I think I take it I, I think this idea of a loose and tight society is an, an interesting one because I think you'd find that there are people who would suggest that having a, a, a government that is more punitive which is essentially what yeah it is not an indicator of what the people living in those communities would like. So uh, no, yeah. true. <laughs> true, <no. laughs> I think that there's not a lot of choice. Actually. There's not a lot of choice there. That's the thing, and and that and that is that's that that's the thing. So whether people want to be there or not is a moot point potentially for this discussion. But um, I think here in Australia we actually have we have the um, good fortune to be an island and separated from, separated a lot from what's gone on in the northern hemisphere. And so, yeah, when we did close the borders and, you yeah, know, brought in lockdowns early, you know, I think it was early in what, February, I think it was, last year, that's what set us up for where we are now. The, of course, the, the problem with that now is that at some stage we actually need to let people back in and out of the country. You know, we can't... We, I think we've, we're past that point and I think what we have done is we, we've potentially not taken advantage of that ability to say actually we're going to keep this out and to set ourselves up for letting people back in I think you know, our reliance on uh, say hotel quarantine for instance I think has been it was good at the start it's gone on for too long you know, we, should have, we should have been looking at home quarantine and other measures you know, the, the Darwin style um, Howard Springs quarantine system much much earlier you know, I think now we're too late for that we should have been able to brought, bring back yeah, particularly Australian citizens into the country much earlier than this the state and the, the you know the Commonwealth and um, state and territory divide is, is pretty clear at the moment you know we've got issues going on around the country between you know internal borders that that's problematic I think it, it is really important that we protect health and I think you know we can see in, in New South Wales the impact that's having on health services at the moment with what globally is a very small number of infections. But it is actually having a large effect on our health system. And, you know, if new, I, I expect that New South Wales is not going to get better in that response anytime soon. I think their health system is going to struggle for the next few months, if not become overwhelmed. Touch wood, we hope that doesn't happen. But to have that happen on a national level would be, you know, fairly daunting for a lot of people. And people are going to die because of that. But we do need to open up. We need to have people, we need to be able to get people back. And I think where we are now is a testament to what we started with, but we haven't set ourselves up for that next step. And I think we're going to rush into it. How do you feel as someone on the front line, as it were, in, in public health, related to people who refuse to accept the notion of masks and social distancing and worse, vaccination? Look, my I mean, my feelings are very clear. I mean, these these things work, and and it's clear that they work. Now, you know, the the issue is that they don't. It, they're not a hundred percent, and I think that's where the the sticking point is. You know, people people are wanting it to be a hundred percent safe, a hundred percent effective, and we're not going to do that. Nothing in medicine or health is a hundred percent effective for everybody. It's just not how how it works. Um, yeah, you know, I think yeah, the idea that the vaccines are 
untested and, and, and potentially dangerous. Well, yeah, the, these COVID vaccines have had much more testing and scrutiny than the majority of the medications that we have available to us for all sorts of things, not just vaccinations. Um, does that mean that it, they don't cause harm? Well, no. There, there are going to be people who will have um, some effects from, the, from having a vaccine. That's, we know that. But we, know, we do that with uh, other medications that we use now. You know, if we waited for any medication to be 100% safe for everybody, we wouldn't have any. I think we go back to this idea of science communication. Yeah. One of the things that we, uh, two things, I guess, that we fail to do uh, as scientists is, is to stress the point that science is really about explanation, isn't it? And it's a tentative explanation uh, based by the evidence that we've got. And if the evidence changes, as it inevitably will, then our explanation itself has to change. So you're right. We can't be absolutely determined uh, about anything at all. No, and there's also this. Uh, there's also this idea that I think one one of the things that strikes me, and and I, and I'm not a, a, a you know an anthropologist or someone who studies human behaviour. So you know, take that with take this with a grain of salt. Is that a lot of the anti-mask, anti-lockdown? Is it's about me? It's it's impacting me. Where we need to actually be thinking about others, right. and I think what this is one of the issues that I, I, I've seen over the eighteen months is that we've moved away from being a society that thinks about us as a society. Right. What's in? It's more about what's in it for me and yeah. what's the impact going to be yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, should you know the the lockdowns and the vaccinations? You know, it's not that it's going to benefit everybody. If we didn't have vaccinations and lockdown, not everyone is going to get unwell from COVID yeah, it's not going to be 100% everyone gets sick and uh, so but there are going to be people who get sick and die and if we can limit that it's better for society yeah, yeah. and that's what this is about yeah, it's about protecting each other I mean that raises two issues um, that we don't have time to talk about today but I would love to have you back again because we've opened up all sorts of questions um, the issues to do with ethics in which I know you mm. have an interest mm. uh, and so choices between this or that in the end are grounded in, in ethical decisions yeah, that's right. um, and, and the second issue is the issue of precautionary principles uh, which is something that science does not talk anywhere near enough about No, um, and I think that pr the precautionary principle is, is one, particularly for healthcare workers mm. and, and, and that, that, that and my specialty in infection prevention of control we really missed the boat on that precautionary principle early on, early on in the pandemic, right. and much, and as a as a profession should have moved quicker. So, in in essence, that simply says it pays to be cautious. Matthew, it's been a delight having you here. Thank you so much. Uh, as I've just suggested, you've opened up a whole lot of areas of inquiry that I'm sure that our listeners will want to pursue in the future. So, I hopefully uh, we'll be able to get you back again at some time soon. Right. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening, and I look forward to the next episode. Goodbye.